Welcome to our newest episode of the Lebanese Physicians uh, Podcast. And today we will be uh, discussing LGBTQ health, focusing on the Lebanese uh, Medical Association for Sexual Health, or LEBMASH, which was established in 2012 in Lebanon. And our guest today is one of the founders of uh, LEBMASH, Dr. Omar Fattal. Uh, Dr. Fattal is a psychiatrist in New York City. He is a deputy medical director for behavioral health at uh, NYC Health and its hospitals. It's the largest public healthcare system in the United States. And he's associate uh, clinical professor of psychiatry at uh, the NYU School of Medicine. Uh, he's been active in LGBTQ health, focusing on mental health for the past decade. And again, he founded, uh, was one of the founders of LabMash, and he's still very active in LabMash, both in Lebanon and with friends of LabMash in uh, New York City. Welcome, Dr. Fatal, to the podcast. Thank you, Khalil, and thank you for having me. Of course, thank you for coming. So let's start first with discussing a bit about the history of the LGBTQ community in Lebanon and sexual and LGBTQ health education through the years uh, in the country. I guess starting from our days when we were maybe younger. Yes, so exactly that. And thank you for, uh, for saying that way, because that's exactly what I was thinking about when you ask that question is some of this is stuff that you've witnessed yourself, obviously. And, you know, it, it's nice to talk to another person who actually was kind of there at the, at the time and can validate experience. But from what I remember, obviously, is really, you know, obviously growing up during the war in Lebanon, right? I, I, I was born in 1974. And for the biggest chunk of my life, it was just war, which really meant, you know, survival mode, right? It meant just doing the minimum and being very restricted geographically, but also restricted in almost everything that we did and, you know, worked on. And even going through high school and college and med school, it was just all kind of like, you know, at the minimum. But then eventually things started opening up in the, you know, late 90s and, um, right, with uh, peace uh, or with, uh, with the end of the war. So I think that, honestly, in my mind, I do connect those two things because we're, and I'll tell you more in a, in a minute why I say that, but like during times of war and instability, it's really hard to focus on, you know, human rights issues and issues like uh, LGBT health or equity or, you know, uh, similar topics. But, you know, when you have relative peace, relative stability, obviously, then you can advance and, and, and uh, work on things like that. And I think that that's what happened in Lebanon, honestly, in, you know, late 90s, early 2000, there was something that was like an underground movement called Club Free. And there was a, like a secret, uh, you know, group of people that met together and said something needs to be done about the situation in Lebanon because we had, and we continue to have the Article 534 of the Penal Code that says any intercourse, any sexual intercourse against nature can be punished by up to one year in jail. And that's a, that's a very big problem in Lebanon. And historically, that law was applied much more often and much more aggressively on, on uh, members of the LGBTQ community. So a lot of people get together and said, we need to do something, something has to change, and we need to start talking about rights and, and equality. And Club Free quickly turned into Helm, which obviously I think is the most famous NGO in the Arab world working on LGBT rights because it was the first. And, you know, there was nothing before Helm in, in the region and Helm was founded uh, by a group of people with, with a very ambitious mission to work on LGBT rights. And I was involved in Hedem uh, briefly at that time from here because I had already moved to the U.S. 
And Hillem uh, initially had a very broad mission to address, you know, legal issues and health issues and social issues. And eventually, Hillem realized that actually that, that's a lot to do under one organization as it became more sophisticated and as uh, it became busier. And other groups started coming out from Hillem. So MERSA, which is a sexual health uh, clinic in Beirut, a very uh, known clinic that provides amazing services for the LGBT community, such as uh, HIV testing, counseling, and, and other services, was actually born out of Helm in, in that sense. And then um, that was maybe the very first entity that worked on LGBT health, if you want to call it that way. And then there were other groups that started appearing, focusing more on legal issues. And in 2012, we come to Labmash, where we, Hassan Abdesamad, who actually came up with the idea of Labmash, was a very dear friend, pulled a group of people together and said, what about starting something that is very specifically dedicated to LGBT health and an entity that's of healthcare professionals, which makes Labmash unique. So, so that's I how the idea going, behind but the I was came about, I guess. Well, the idea specifically, there was a turning point. There was a specific moment in 2012. I don't know if you remember, but there was a lot of talk in the media. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but basically it's just we're talking about it, but that's, you know, that you cannot talk about it and not, not use the term because, you know, we did a campaign once, an, an email campaign, and in the, in the subject of the email, we put a ban on anal testing. And a lot of people, you know, give us feedback that oh, you can't leave an email with the word anal testing. But in reality, that's that's what it is. It's uh, uh, men being uh, arrested, I guess, by Hbeish and put in Hbeish uh, overnight, and then and they either get threatened or in the past, especially around that time, they would actually take like a, a metal object and uh, insert it in the anus, basically. And in, in their head, this is like an anal testing for homosexuality. And it's not just in Lebanon. This is something that exists in other countries as well. Anyway, at that moment, it that had reached its peak because a lot of people uh, were fed up and uh, it made it, it leaked into the media. And there was a very big, buzz around it nationally and internationally. So Human Rights Watch and other groups wrote statements uh, kind of like calling for it to stop and to be uh, banned. And this was a turning moment where people like Hassan and myself and other people decided that we needed this entity to speak about LGBT health and to be working in the LGBT rights space but an entity of healthcare professionals, because we felt like a lot of the discussion that was happening in the media or you know, in, in Beirut was being conducted by non-healthcare professionals. And, and we decided that if we we're gonna be talking about ADA testing, we're gonna talk about health, we're gonna be talking about uh, sexually transmitted diseases, trauma, right? Because all of these things are connected to, to this practice. We felt like, that the regulators or the politicians or the media, that we felt that they would respond better if they heard the arguments coming out from healthcare professionals who actually are experts in these different areas, the areas of, uh, you know, whether it's 
surgery or, you know, uh, medicine, psychiatry. I mean, all the different areas are, are implicated in, in this practice. And in fact, we did unofficially come involved and we advocated with the Ministry of Health and we advocated with the Lebanese Order of Physicians. I, I don't think we can take credit as LabMash for this, but a lot of other groups were working on it as well. And eventually there was a ban in Lebanon in 2012. And I think that that gave us the kind of, not validation, but it gave us the momentum to actually, or the proof of concept that actually this did work and us sending emails and us having meetings and calling and we put out a statement and it was very well received because people kind of, you know how it is, you're a physician and you know how some people want to hear certain medical facts or certain um, health information. They want to kind of hear it from another healthcare professional and unfortunately even within then there's like there you know in people's mind there's this hierarchy where like if, it's, if you're a doctor then you know whatever you say is like more important or more true than if you're like a nurse right so we have that uh stigma in a way within the profession but in our case honestly we took advantage of that and we said fine you want to hear it from a physician you know you want to hear it from a psychologist you want to hear it from a nurse we are a group of physicians and psychologists and nurses, and we're going to be taking this on. And then we formed officially and we launched LabMash as an actual organization. Right, because, because prior to that, I think even the laws in the country, uh, were comp- there was no laws protecting actually the rights of the LGBTQ community prior to uh, the establishment, I guess, of uh, LabMash at that time in, in Lebanon. And so once you established it, who are the members of the group initially? And I guess at this point, who are, who are the members of the group? So, I mean, there are other organizations. So I don't want to take all the credit, obviously. I mean, one, we still don't have laws. <laughs> We're very, very far from protection, right? So in Lebanon, we still have the Article 54 of the Penal Code, and we still have practices on the ground that are uh, abusive towards LGBTQ people. But a lot has changed since 2001. And I think that that is due to the work of Labmash and many other organizations like Helm that continues to be there and MARSA and Mosaic and, you know, other organizations. So I want to make sure that, that they all are included in this as well. So initially, like I said, Hassan, and I still remember, he literally sent emails to like 60 or 70 people who he thought could be uh, candidates and something like 10 people replied and said, yes, we're interested. We got together. And it was uh, from day one, it was like a kind of a, uh, before the days of COVID, it was on Zoom back then because we were all, all over, you know, that we were mostly in different states in the United States, but there were people in uh, Canada as well. And uh, we decided to go for it. And we met with um, GLAMA, the Gay and Lesbian Medical Association here in the U.S., because they were kind of much more developed and they had been doing this kind of work for many years to get their advice. And they were very, very supportive and very helpful in helping us kind of think about it. And uh, so Hassan was the first president of LabMash. It was his idea. And uh, over the years, for the last 10 years, we made sure that we not that we don't follow the Lebanese system and just having like the same leader it's very tempting you know once you have a a leadership structure once you have a president it's very tempting to just keep them and just renew it year after year because they know what's going on and but we really really made 
a lot of effort in actually, you know, running Labmash in a very democratic, truly democratic way in the sense that we have elections every two years and uh, we've rotated presidents really almost every two years since then intentionally because we want to, you know, so we've had, I was president at some point. Now, uh, fast forward, our president is Soha Balut. She's a PhD in nursing uh, in Boston. And uh, we have other board members who are from a nursing background. We have someone who's a psychologist and a primary care physician. We have a couple of psychiatrists on the board and uh, we have a public health uh, professional. The other thing that I want to talk about uh, with our membership is that we also initially, when we started, we were all men. <laughs> it was just like a bunch of gay men basically on the board and we knew it. I mean, we could see it. It wasn't, but it was also hard to recruit uh you know, like women or other uh, people. And over the years, we made a lot of effort into trying to make sure that we're diverse. And now um, I think we're much, much more diverse than when we started. We have almost half of our board is women. And when you look at the structure of Labmash, as far as the staff and like the team, basically, so we have a board and we have a team. And if you could add everything up, the mixture of like straight, gay, women, men, it's, it's just, it's, it's a very nice mixture of different people. And honestly, we're at a point now where it's just, we have everything, you know? So and that was something that we've worked very hard on to achieve. And, uh, and I guess if, if, I'm, if I'm reading the goals uh, of LabMash, it's, uh, it's through landmark research, evidence-based trainings and high-profile advocacy. LabMash is an organization of healthcare professionals who work to ensure that all LGBTQ people can access healthcare without discrimination or harm. That was one of your main statements, right? Or main goals. And yeah. so, so over the years, I guess, one, you had to register LabMass as an NGO. Uh, and number two, after that, you had to push for laws or changing laws in Lebanon. So one, was it easy to register LabMass as an NGO in Lebanon? Number two, were you able to push some laws forward that improved the health of the LGBTQ community in Lebanon? Yeah, so, I mean, it's hard to say these things publicly, but it was easy because we kind of complied, you know? So, I mean, Helem is unable to register. And I, I don't know if you're familiar with that. Helem has a, has, a, has a chronic issue in Lebanon that they won't register because it's in their mission statement publicly that they are an LGBTQ rights organization. And this is a, a, it's a, it's a, it's a philosophical argument. And, and in a way, they cannot change that because that's the essence of who they are. But unfortunately, they can't register because the government won't register them on that mission. Uh, if, you, you know, if you say our name out loud, you realize that our name is the Lebanese Medical, Medical Association for Sexual Health. And we picked that name on purpose, right? Because, when, you know, especially when you translate it to Arabic, there's nothing in our name that actually uh, is limited to LGBT people. So we, we kind of, you know, picked a name and picked a, a mission that is compliant with the current Lebanese laws. There's nothing in the Lebanese laws that says you're not allowed to work on sexual health, you know? So uh, that's how we were able to do it. And even with that, though, we had a hard time registering, but not because of our mission or the topics that we cover. It was because of the dysfunction in the Lebanese government. Like we had to wait two years, but 
I, I will never know because many other organizations were waiting because we were without a government, if you remember, in 2012, I think for like a year or two. And then all of a sudden, one day, we got the, the number. So I don't know. I don't know. But technically, uh, to answer your question, maybe I'm uh, giving you a long answer, but it was easy because uh, we were able to adapt our mission to something that was acceptable. And uh, we didn't want to make a statement with the mission itself or the name itself. We decided to focus on the work and getting stuff done. And uh, as far as laws, closest we got to affecting a law, I mean, ultimately, all the roads lead to the Article 534 of the penal code. That's, that's, the, that's the problem. That's the source of, every, of everything. The way it's written, it's very vague. But unfortunately, this law is used to blackmail, to intimidate, to randomly arrest people. Uh, but also, it's, it's, it's at the source of the stigma and the taboo and people now wanting to be out because literally you could just be picked up and, and thrown in jail. That, I mean, that coupled with the idea that in Lebanon, you're guilty until proven innocent, right? Like in the United States, for example, like this is like the, you know, very commonly known that you're innocent until proven guilty. In Lebanon, actually, they can throw you in jail and they can lock the, the door and then you have to actually like work your way out of there. And uh, in the case of LGBTQ people, it's, you know, it's, it's very hard because then you're not out to your family, maybe, or you don't have the resources to like hire a lawyer or you don't want to call people because you're, you know, not, not you know, maybe because you're not out or you're, there's shame, there's guilt, there's a lot of different factors at play. So closest we were able to get to affecting 534 is through the work that we did at the very beginning in 2013 with the Lebanese Psychiatric Society and the Lebanese Psychological Association. And in Lebanon, the Lebanese Psychiatric Society is actually similar to the medical board here in the US. So they're not just like a professional organization. They have teeth. Like they actually can take your license away from you because they're, they're a subgroup of the Lebanese organization. So they're very, very, uh, you know, they have, they have power basically. Uh, so we worked with them to have them issue statements saying that homosexuality is not an illness and that it doesn't require treatment. And that if basically that if anyone is going to talk about homosexuality, they really need to be uh, professional and they need to know what they're talking about and they need to rely on science and uh, not just kind of like rely on misconceptions. What that did, and in a way we were not, we did not design it that way, but we just wanted it to do it just to do it because we were uh, fed up with having people go on TV. If you remember, I don't know if you were here in Lebanon during that period, but there were people going on TV uh, saying that, oh, homosexuality is an illness and there's a cure for it. And I have treated people for it. And, you know, so we just wanted that to stop. But what ended up happening is that with these statements from the Lebanese Psychiatric Society and the Lebanese Psychological Association with all their uh, weight, started being used in courtrooms by lawyers. Because then when people were getting arrested based on 534, which says any sexual intercourse against nature can be punished by up to one year in jail, the lawyers started saying, wait, 
the Lebanese Psychiatric Society is saying that this is not a disease. So you cannot apply this law. And we actually did some work as well on uh, awareness. And we did a video in 2016. And we kind of recapped this information and we included the WHO stand on homosexuality saying that it's not a disease. So the lawyers started using that as well. And actually there were several rulings in Lebanon that said, no, we're several judges and it, even a couple of them went to like an appeal court that confirmed it and said, nope, I'm, I'm gonna release this person because look, the professionals are saying that it's not a disease. So in a way it's not against nature. I hope this made sense uh, the way I said it, but we could not really remove the law because the law has needs a parliament action to be removed. But what we're able to do, and again, I cannot take all the credit, but this specific statement and this specific work, I think really, really did affect it. We made the law almost useless in that sense. So basically, you were not able to change the law, but you were able to influence judges to interpret the law, I guess, in ways that made being LGBTQ not like a disease or not a, or not a, uh, I guess, offense that can put you in jail, right? Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, you could still go to jail, but then they can release you. You know what I mean? Like in Lebanon right now, you could be walking down the street and someone can pick you up and they can put you in jail and you cannot do anything about it. You know, because also of corruption. I mean, that's the other issue is that whenever we talk about LGBT issues in Lebanon, I think it's very, very important to remember that we're talking about Lebanon. (laughs) So other things that affect non-LGBT people too affect LGBT people, right? Like the, for example, the economy, for example, corruption, for example, uh, you know, lack of uh, institutions, right? Like all that stuff is, is equally, uh, you know, applied on everyone, right? Right. <clears throat> so so what, what are, what have the, I mean, what have the main barriers to your work been in Lebanon? Like what were the barriers or what are still the barriers that are ongoing right now, especially given, I think we can probably talk about that, focusing also on the current uh, economic situation in the country and the unstable uh, political climate at this point. Yeah, I mean, so I think the biggest barriers are, I would put them in maybe three buckets. I mean, one bucket is obviously funding, right? Because this kind of work, I mean, who you you have... no one is gonna like no one in Lebanon or in the region is gonna give you money to do this kind of work because you're literally because they're literally anti this kind of work. So you have to continuously find funding, and funding is very very challenging in this uh, space in that region. So you you and the reason why I'm saying funding is because this kind of work you cannot work on it for like six months and then stop and then you have to do it and you have to build and you have to have, and then unfortunately it's like stop and go, stop and go. Like you have some funding, you do something and then you don't have funding and then now you have to do something else. So it's been very challenging that way. The second biggest challenge is the taboo and the stigma. There's so much taboo. There's so much stigma. There's so much shame and it's just deep, deep, deep everywhere. And unfortunately it makes everything harder, right? Because you want to talk about a topic And if there's so much shame and if there's so much stigma, then that's like the biggest barrier because then 
you know, you, by definition, uh, to give you an example, like we had this campaign a few years ago and we had funding and we had, you know, everything and we had the message and we had the people to speak. And the topic was to talk about LGBT health and talk about certain specific issues. And we actually retained uh, a very, very, not only successful, but influential PR company in Lebanon that actually did amazing campaigns. And they're, they're really, really excellent. So they had a lot of connections and they had done very successful marketing campaigns and very PR campaigns for other you know, organizations and other issues. And we had a lot of money for that specific project would get invited to go on tv and then the last minute they would uninvite us when they find out what we're talking about or uh, there was this also very uh popular radio uh show in lebanon that i got invited on and then again the morning i i had the pre-screening and then she she said oh what are you going to be talking about and i told her that this is an awareness campaign to bring people's awareness about these issues and she said we don't talk about these issues and I said, but that's exactly why we want to do this campaign. <laughs> well, we don't talk about sexual health. We have designed to start by talking. Another example, for example, is uh, it's not just stigma and it's not just taboo. It's censorship and it's intentional, intentional uh, censorship from the government. So again, we had another, uh, another campaign where we had the money and we wanted to put on billboards in Lebanon um, just the sentence, homosexuality is not a disease. Three words, four words. There's Obviously, there's nothing illegal about saying those four words. And every scientific uh, organization, the Lebanese, so on and so forth, WHO, you, you know, it, that's a fact. It's actually a fact that homosexuality is not a disease. They were banned. They, we, were not, we had the money. We uh, hired the, the billboard company to post them. And actually, the government said, no, you can, you're not allowed to do it. The, the billboard company censored it. So I think that's something that people don't see because I think, especially in Lebanon, they see on social media and they think like, oh, you know, there's all this stuff happening, but they don't understand what's happening behind the scenes. Behind the scenes, we're really being silenced. I mean, not you, thank you for having me here today to talk about this, but obviously this is not a representation of, you know, I'm talking about Lebanon as a, as a country and talking about being able to go on TV Probably everyone knows that, but it took me a long time to understand. You only reach certain people, period. If you go on TikTok, you reach other people. And the people that we behind some of the, you know, various, some of the issues are not on Facebook. They're not on TikTok. They're not on Instagram. They are listening to the radio and they're watching TV. And those that, if you want to call them traditional media or you want to call them whatever you want to call them, uh, or, or the print media, that's like the mainstream those are very, very difficult to actually, because we tried, believe me, and we even had money and we even had connections and we had uh, to publishing stuff. And I feel like that constantly keeps you out of uh, being able to reach the people you want to reach. So that, that is a chronic uh, big issue for us. And the last bucket is exactly what you said. Unfortunately, in Lebanon, chronically, it's so dysfunctional that the, the parliament doesn't function, the governments don't function, the ministries don't, you know, barely function. So it's extremely, our pillars are research, training and awareness, and policy. Research we've been doing, training and awareness we've been doing, but I told you the biggest barriers about awareness is that we cannot reach a big segment of the population. 
on their policy, we're extremely challenged because if you want to change policy, you have to work with systems, you have to work with government, you have to work with, and these are so dysfunctional that there's no mechanism to lobby anyone. The second issue is that things keep changing, right? Like you have one minister one day from a certain party who's supportive, and then all of a sudden you have another minister from like a completely opposite party, and now you're phenomena of politics infiltrating everything, like even a professional organization or university or something that you wouldn't expect. Actually, there's like people from different parties in there, which is obviously very difficult to navigate. And uh, things change so much, but also like you said, the instability. So we were working and we had a really good momentum. And then in, in August, how can you, what can you do? Like we were paralyzed for literally a whole year after the explosion. We were devastated because also on top of everything, not just the fact that people, everyone was devastated, including us. And how could you be holding a webinar on LGBT health when people were, when people lost their homes and their lives and right? Like, so you kind of had, we had to pivot and we, and the fact that the explosion happened in, in Jamaica, you know, and then in, in areas that are the most LGBT, uh, inclusive areas in Lebanon. So actually the LGBT community was the hardest hit by the explosion. So we had to shift our work to services and to try to like support and do kind of, which is still very valuable, but you know, it's almost going back to the days of the war where now you're shifting to survival and you're shifting to basic needs. And that's, that's a step back in some sense. And now with the economy and with just, that, you know, that kind of these big forces that pose themselves on you and you kind of have to deal with them. And then all of a sudden you're unable to, and it, it happened to us, you know, when you try to advance a certain issue, I've talked to, you know, people in the parliament and I've talked to people in uh, positions of uh, influence and they tell you, this is not the time to talk about this. And in a way, what can you tell them? You cannot be like, oh no, yeah, I want to talk about five, three, four now in the middle of an economic meltdown. You know what I mean? You just end up waiting. But we, but for someone like me, I've been waiting since 1992, right? Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, there's, there's not. I don't think there's ever going to be a good time. There's waiting. always stuff that's Some going on, stuff that's happening. So I don't think there's ever going to be a good time to talk yeah. about uh, this issue uh, in the country. But now they're going to tell you we need to talk about the economy, but at the same time, they're not yeah. fixing the economic situation. So, Exactly. And meanwhile, and the one thing I really do want to mention is that meanwhile, we're not, this is, we're not acting in vacuum. Meanwhile, other people and other groups are advancing other agendas. And I think it's very, very important to remember that uh, you know, things are not you know, neutral in that sense. Like I think a lot of people can think, oh, well, you can wait a few years. But but what's happening, you know, the, 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 you know, there's a lot of very strong religious and cultural influences on Lebanon that are not necessarily all coming from within the country, you know, coming from maybe other countries. And they're they're moving us back in time and they're moving us to a more homophobic and more uh, 
you know, a worse play, you know, advancing against another force that's trying to push us back. So, so what do, what do you think is the future? What is going to be the future of uh, advocacy for uh, LGBTQ health in Lebanon and I guess in the region? I, I know you may not be an expert of the region in Lebanon, but just to get your perspective yeah. on this. Yeah, I mean, I honestly think that uh, the same way that, I mean, I'm very hopeful because I have lived this and I know that for a fact that in 2001, in 2000, there was nothing. And then in 2001, there was Helem. And now in 2022, there's like five or six organizations, at least in Lebanon, at least working on LGBTQ issues, whether it's legal or social or health. And also the MENA region, I know for a fact that in 2001, there was nothing, there was, you know, and now we have groups in Jordan, in uh, uh, Iraq, in Egypt, in many different countries uh, with LGBT rights. And uh, they're slightly actually more advanced than us in Lebanon. So in, in the region, Tunis and Lebanon are considered the two like most advanced, but there's a lot for being done in Jordan. And so I think that uh, a lot of things are happening. And I think that we're at the point where it's, uh, it's, it's not gonna, it's, it's impossible to go back and it's impossible to kind of, you know, go back into the closet uh, in a way, in a sense, you know, the LGBT movement is out and it's, it's strong and it's uh, doing a lot of things and, and it's just not going to go away. You know, things could be slowed down. Um, things could maybe be like once, one step forward, like one step back, two steps forward. Like, yes, I can see that. But overall though, to ask me, and I know how often you go to Lebanon, but, I hope you can answer that in, in, from your perspective, Lebanon today versus Lebanon, you know, 20 years ago, as far as... Uh, yeah, I mean, I can answer that for you. I, mean, I think it's moved forward. I mean, now it's more accepted yeah. in certain areas, uh, much more open, but in, in other areas, it's still the way it was 20 years ago, I think, if you yeah. go to some, some areas. And I, mean, I can give you an example. Once when we were back in Lebanon, my wife was working as a pediatric endocrinologist and, and she, she got an adolescent kid whose dad brought him over to her, to her clinic and he wanted her to convince him uh, that he's mistaken and that he's not, yeah. uh, he's not gay. And she yeah. could not do that. And she, had, she had got a phone call from the dad afterwards telling her, that's not what I wanted you to tell my son. And... Uh, I'm not going to take him. She told him, you need to take him. She's like, you, just take him to a, you and him need to go maybe talk to a psychologist and stuff like that. And he, he refused. He's like, no, I'm not going to go do that. So there's still that taboo, I think, that's there in certain areas. But, uh, but I think it's better in a lot of ways. Uh, and I've experienced that firsthand in Lebanon. Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly my experience. And I can tell you maybe a story. Uh, I think it was last year. So we, Labmash, started uh, something called the LGBT Health Week almost six, seven years ago. It's just a, a month that we dedicate to LGBT health and we do like, you know, webinars and conference and uh, things on social media, awareness campaigns. So we've been doing it and we invite speakers usually and we try to publish things during that month. And we have been doing it 
host events. Last year, we got an email from someone, I think at AB or telling us, oh, it's the LGBT Health Week and would you like to do XYZ event? And so it literally became a thing. Uh, and to me, that is a perfect example. And, and the other thing that, that I can share is that now I'm finally at the point where I've lost track because there's so many efforts. There's so much new blood that's happening that I just heard two weeks ago about a clinic at AUB that is actually, that provides services to LGBT people at AUB. I would have never dreamed of that when I was a medical student at AUB. So I think now we're at the point where things are happening organically. There's so much efforts. There's so many things that it's no longer just Helem and Marsa and, and Labmash, right? Like 10 years ago, you could say Helem. Then it was, now it's, it's really like a lot of different people. And now it's just, it's going to be impossible to, 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 to roll this back, you know? Right. I think, I think uh, hopefully you guys uh, and, and all the other uh, organizations working in Lebanon will be able to change uh, the perspective in the country and the region eventually. And I think I can give, I mean, we can give an example. I mean, we're, we're both living in the U.S. right now. And if you look at the U.S., 40 years ago or 30 years ago, it's nothing like it is right now. I think th things kept moving forward and hopefully it'll be the same in, in the Arab region and in, in Lebanon. Uh, the only thing is we need to change, hopefully we can change the laws at some point in the country because laws protecting LGBTQ rights, laws protecting women's rights are still very much outdated and behind the times compared to what where the thinking of the people of the country is at this point. Yeah. So thank you so much, uh, Omar, for being yeah, on no, this podcast. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. Uh, so thank you for being on this podcast and uh, shedding light on uh, the work that yeah, no, thank you so and much other for having me. organizations are doing in the country. My pleasure, and thank you so much for having me. Thanks.